Well, hello and welcome to the Listening to the Land podcast. It's me, Phil Tkachik again, and with me is uh, Nathan Olmeyer. I'm feeling yes. really good to be here. Absolutely. And we would love to start by making a land acknowledgement. Um, I can start by saying that I am hailing from the lands of the Duwamish and Tulalip tribes. And what about you, Nathan? Yeah, I'm calling in from the lands of the Nisanan and the northern Sierra Miwok here down in the land that is known as Kalama. Excellent. So I just wanted to put out an acknowledgement also to our listeners that Nathan and I are coming back from having been gone a long time from recording. And we're actually doing this over long distance. We're three states apart right now. This is over Zoom, and we've uh, taken your feedback to heart. We've actually gotten uh, some better microphones, and we're attempting to really increase our sound quality in this podcast. So thank you all for uh, giving us that feedback and for listening. We really appreciate all of you. Yeah, absolutely. And this feeling, too, of coming back after all this time apart, um, Today, we're going to be talking about like the energies and essences of spring and that like rebirth and renewal and this transition time that we find ourselves within. And it feels really paralleled to us, Phil, like coming back together after all of these months, even a little over a year apart from recording and giving forth this, this spring energy into this podcast. Yes. Yes, I agree. It's, it's uh, exciting, invigorating. It's really fun. And I want to start off by sharing a little story that's related to spring. And this is a story that happened just a few weeks ago. I was out with a class, a tracking class out in the sagebrush steppe country of central Washington state, uh, which is Columbia, Yakima, and Moses Lake uh, territories. And we had a really incredible experience right off the bat as soon as all of us arrived we went to a land that is especially special especially sacred for nathan and i we've had some beautiful connective time there and as we were driving onto this land as a class as a caravan of separate cars i I noticed this massive cloud of sandhill cranes that were flying in from the south and they are such incredible birds. They, they stand four feet tall. They have huge wingspans and they have beautiful ringing trumpeting voices that carry really far over this landscape. So it was really incredible. We were just stepping out of our cars. There was actually a tiny bit of snow falling out of the sky. And in the distance, we could see this huge flock of sandhill cranes circling and, and calling to each other and, Throughout the day, actually, as we walked around and we looked at wildlife track and sign, we had flyovers of small groups of sandhill cranes. And every time their presence was above us and around us, we would pause and and take it in. We would pause and listen to them or we admire them flying over. And they're such incredible birds. And in our area, in this particular landscape, they're only there for a couple of weeks out of the year. 
So they literally just passed through on their way, migrating up north to Canada. So we just happened to be there at just that exact time. But they are also really like this tremendous herald of spring. Mm-hmm. And there are actually some towns in central Washington that celebrate Sandhill Crane festivals just to acknowledge them, which I find really touching that, you know, that people love them so much that they want to create festivals that celebrate their presence, even though they're such a transient presence, right? They're only here for a short time, but with them, they bring that spring energy. They bring that, Mm. that beauty. And, and of course they're arriving as so many beautiful beings are popping out onto the landscape. Snakes are emerging from hibernation. Lots of wildflowers are popping up out of the soil and we're starting to get warmer days. So it's, yeah, it's uh, incredibly touching for me and moving to get to experience them, even in this sort of brief way. Mm. You know, we were only there for two days for a weekend and we just happened to be there just at that time. So I was, I still feel it in my body. I feel this sort of vibrating excitement from having experienced those amazing beings. Yeah. Yeah, it's truly incredible. Magnificent, really, is the word that's rising. I'm uh, recollecting, I feel called to share that in the Lushootsi language, um, it comes from the Coast Salish peoples of Western Washington. The Lushootsi word for um, Santo Crane translates to eagle woman. Mm. Um, And that, for me, yeah, I just feel called to share because that really, like, holds their magnificence. Um, in such a way and really i was um captured by your words of like the sandhill cranes bringing the spring energy with them and i was caught in that like caught in that essence of how they're so attuned to the rhythms of the land and the cycles of place and how there's almost like this even reciprocal nature of they're bringing the spring energy with them and they're also being brought by the spring energy. Like the spring energy is what's also, they're bringing that and it's also what's calling them into the land and calling them north. So there's like the embodiment of spring energy within them and also the embodiment of the spring energy within the land and the reciprocal dance that's like held in their migration that you and your participants got to bear witness to and find yourselves in awe of. That's really Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I like the way you framed that a lot. And um, yeah, it's it's true. They definitely, you know, not just bring the energy, but express the energy of renewal and spring and birth. And yeah, and there's something really moving as a human being to bear witness to their passing through arriving and passing through the, the calls and the the sight of them flying is is really incredibly moving I, I don't have the right words to express how it feels in my body but there's mm-hmm. definitely like this rising excitement and and joy that comes from that even just looking at photos that I took of them brings up some of that energy in my body so it's it's so interesting how birds can really embody that in beautiful ways yeah and I'm really hearing in your story how they they gift you their very presence. And even in the aftermath, you were just naming, like seeing these pictures, how that gifts you 
the energy of renewal gives you spring and helps attune your own body into the rhythms of place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you have any spring related stories, renewal, rebirth related stories that are wanting to be shared. Mm, yeah. Thank you for the invitation, Phil. Um, yeah. I had an experience a few weeks ago that I feel called to share. I was um, in this land known today as Rasmussen here in Northern California and I was walking in this place um, when I heard the calls of a red-shouldered hawk. And they were calling consistently from a very specific place within this grove of trees. And as this red-shouldered was calling from within the grove, there was a second red-shouldered flying around um, on the periphery, also calling back. And they were communicating to each other in this way. And I had this intuition, this feeling that there was a nest located in this grove of oaks where that single red-shouldered was being still. And so I circled around the grove of oaks and kind of maneuvered my way inside when suddenly they started calling again with, a, with this burst of energy, this such aliveness. And I couldn't locate this still one, but the second red-shouldered who flew, then flew into the grove of oaks and then came down on the northern edge where there's this patch of willow trees and in that patch of willow they came in and then they harvested one of the willow whips and then took wow. that willow whip and flew up back into the oaks and i could see them i was watching them and they perched and they were watching me and there is this sense of like this feeling i could almost feel them questioning whether or not to reveal their nest location to me and they were kind of like having this debate and after like several minutes had passed, there was the sense of like, oh, okay, like he's okay. He's, he's, he's okay. And so then they flew over just about, I want to say like eight or 10 feet from where they were perched into a nest that a moment before was invisible to me, but now visible because this red shouldered flew inside. And then the second red shoulder, the one who had been still all this time was calling out and calling out. And the, the red-shouldered who harvested the willow then gave that willow to the red-shouldered within the nest. And then I got to witness them weave that willow into the nest. Wow. And it was like this experience of like receiving the gift of the land of this willow whip, offering it to their, to their life partner. And then that partner weaving into the nest, into this home and their hearth where they're going to raise they're young where their young will burst forth and just this mm, like there's so many layers of the spring energy present even in the willow whip like the leaves where that vibrance new growth green and yeah just that whole story was really really holds the energy of spring and renewal and creating a hearthstead um for the family and the next generations to spring forth. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. And I, I appreciate your framing of the red-shouldered hawk collecting the willow branch as harvesting. And it's really interesting that with willow in particular, they respond to harvesting by creating more branches. So harvesting can actually be beneficial to willow. And yeah, and I, I love I love your story. That's that's wonderful, and it's 
it's really a treat to have that kind of an intimate experience and and an intimate view into the life of an animal that obviously had to assess whether or not they felt like you were worthy of seeing their nest, right? And whether you were trustworthy in particular. So that's, yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful story. I love it. Mm, yeah, that definitely that essence of, yeah, there was like a feeling of when they decided to reveal their nest of mm, like this depth of gratitude and knowing that they felt safe with me, that, yeah, that they felt safe, that we felt connected and yeah, that's a very, like I, even now as I'm naming this, I'm feeling a warmth in my body mm. and just knowing that this other than human creature felt safe in my presence, safe enough to reveal to me their home. And like, what a magical, what a magical thing. Yeah. Yeah, truly. That's, that's really a gift. And yeah. And it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not an experience you have every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to point out that, you know, as a person who sees the world through animist eyes and, and who walks the world as an animist, you work really hard to be a respectful neighbor, right? You work really hard to honor these red-shouldered hawks and their needs, and you were already considerate of your impact and your possible influence on on their behavior, on, on their, their life ways in that moment. Mm. And that's something I really want to appreciate and point out is that, you know, from, from the sort of standpoint of sharing with our listeners what animism is in practice, right? You were already applying those things. You were already acting from a place of respect and consideration. And that's a huge part of what animus practice looks like is Mm. being considerate of you know our impact having conscious impact on the world right we we can't move through the world and not have influence over other beings especially since we consume other beings to live Mm -hmm. but we can do that in a way that minimizes destructiveness right that encourages life that encourages diversity that supports diversity and and renewal and rebirth and you were already doing that Mm, yeah your words actually really remind me of recently i had the great fortune to participate in a in a program where one of the instructors or facilitators used the language of um degenerative disturbance versus regenerative disturbance ah that's good good like this quality of like you were saying, as we move through the world, we create disturbance. As I move through the grass and my feet land, like grass goes down <laughs> from the weight of my body. Right. But we can, seeing the world through animist eyes and walking in the world as an animist, we can consciously make the decisions to have our disturbance be of a regenerative nature, to regenerate culture, regenerate life ways, regenerate um, intimacy um, with the living world. Yeah, I, I really like that framing. That's wonderful. Yeah, and that's that's really a big part of the core of what animism is on an everyday level. And you're reminding me of another brief story, which also happened in a class that I, I just ran this past weekend, where 
there were two little events, two little encounters that we had as a class that were all about spring renewal and also about being a respectful neighbor. I had taken my class out once again in the sagebrush step and we were out in an area that I knew really well, actually an area that you and I have spent some, some amazing time together in. And I framed what we were doing with the class very carefully by saying, when we come around this next cliff face, there's going to be a family of owls nesting in this one particular spot. And rather than just barging in there, we're going to come around the corner slowly. We're going to pause. We're going to look and we're going to see where the owls are and whether, you know, us approaching any closer is the right thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I say the right thing to do from a standpoint of minimizing our impact in a destructive way. Right? Mm. And so we did that. We, we paused, we, we saw where the owl was. The owl actually, while we were watching, one of the adults was there and the adult flew out, caught a bird while we were watching and then flew right back to the nest and handed it off to one of the young, which was amazing. And we, and we were at such a distance where we couldn't see the young, but by the owl's behavior, we could tell there was a young in there. And then the owl flew out again. So we got closer to the nest and my partner Grace got very excited because she was the first one to spot this little fluffy, angry looking Muppet of a baby owl <laughs> poking their head up above the, the little cave mouth. And, you know, all of us were super thrilled to, to be able to see these amazing creatures. And as soon as we saw that parent that had left to hunt coming back and we saw that they were waiting for us to move away from the nest. We did that immediately. You know, mm -hmm. I gathered up all the students. I pointed out why we're doing what we're doing. I said, you know, we're obviously getting this amazing opportunity to witness this family of owls, but we're also preventing this parent from coming in and feeding their young. So we're going to back out and we're going to let this owl come back. And we did that. And the owl came back as we moved away. And then as we rounded uh, an, another bend in the trail, one of the students found this beautiful woven nest down in this really dense grass right by a pond. And there was beautiful breast feathers that had been pulled out and laid in there as insulation. And all the eggs, I think we counted 13 or 14 eggs, beautiful, sort of a creamy tan color were hatched. So all the eggs hatched out and somewhere nearby hiding in the rushes was 13 or 14 baby ducklings. Mm. So that was really another moment of like, wow, you know, there's, there's this incredible energy of rebirth happening here. And of course, everywhere we walked as well, there was spring wildflowers popping up, you know, arrowleaf balsam root and lomatiums and, um, larkspurs and sagebrush violets and all sorts of beautiful flowers. The golden current flowers are blossoming everywhere. So really incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Really feeling in your story. There's so many layers held in this, in this story that you just shared with us. And something that's rising that I feel called to acknowledge is the ways in which mm, you y'all were, going to use this language that was recently introduced to me of playing attention rather than paying attention, playing attention, playing attention nice. with the land. Um, 
of the land was continuously, I don't know, I got a sense of like that nest with all of those duckling egg hatches that happened in there. There's almost a sensory experience of the ways in which y'all respected um, the great horned owls and respected their their home and their space and moved out the moment there was the recognition that the mother was being inhibited from feeding her young. And then how such shortly after that, you came into relation with this nest and the eggs and like this feeling of the land seeing y'all and recognizing how y'all were responding with, with qualities of respect for place and that the land actively chose to continue to rise up and to continue to give you stories, the stories of those hatchlings and the stories of the flowers. And I'm so curious around how that experience was um, for your students and for your students and being guided to participate in the land in this way. What was that like for them? Yeah, well, I I hesitate to speak for them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but what I will say is I, I noticed that um, when when I sent them out to have a particular experience on the landscape, they came back with some incredibly intimate stories and and also shared really courageously about uh, both the the joy and the grief that came up for them. And I guess I can share that story too. So um, one thing that I did is I had all of us sit down and, and we did a sense meditation, which is just a, a really simple practice of going through each sense individually and just um, focusing on that sense and reaching out into the landscape to have a fully engaged sensory experience, right? And this is something I do pretty commonly in my classes. It's a way for students to, sometimes it's a way for students to just arrive to a place fully with their bodies. Since we use vehicles to travel so far sometimes, you know, it feels like our bodies have to catch up. But anyway, we did this exercise and then Afterwards, I presented them with an opportunity. It wasn't a required exercise. I, I offered it as a, a choice. But I said, you know, you, you can go out onto the landscape for half an hour. And I think a really powerful question to walk out on the landscape with is, what does belonging feel like here? Mm. Right? And at first, that question sounds really simple, but when you put yourself through that process, it can be really intimate. It can be really tender. It can be really hard in some ways, you know, and, and I don't want to get into too much detail as far as what the students said, that feels Mm -hmm. like a little bit of a breach of their sharing. But what I will say is that I was really blown away by the beauty of their stories and, and, and also the grief that came up for some of them of like, you know, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I belong here. Uh, And, and how, you know, how they were navigating that. And that, that feels really relevant to, to animism too, because really for, for me, and I, and I feel like maybe for you as well, a huge aspect of animism is, is walking back into relatedness, right. Is walking Mm. back into belonging in a conscious way. And, 
yeah so so these you know these these experiences with spring energy in this landscape were really powerful for all of us uh, me included as the instructor i'm i'm certainly not uh, immune to being impacted by the land it very very much the opposite right i'm constantly working to be more porous and more more receptive but yeah i was uh yeah i was very moved I'm, i i still feel that emotion arising right now when i think back to their sharing and and just the power of some of their encounters because one of the little pieces that i added to that particular question was i said you know, go out with this question of what does belonging feel like here and invite the land to participate in that question. Mm. Like consciously invite the land as, as a participant and say, you know, come in and, and, and show me what that feels like. Come in and engage with me. And, and yeah, you know, there, there's so much to unpack there, right. As far as uh, ways of understanding ways of seeing, I mean, it, you can, go back to re-listen to all of our past episodes and, and look at all the layers of meaning and assumptions and biases that you have to kind of work through to get to a place where that feels normal and natural and acceptable. And, wow. and so that's part of why I feel really blown away by my students and being willing to participate in that sort of exercise. Cause it's not an easy one, right? It's, it's a, it's kind of a loaded process and that there's, there's a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, uh, complexity and nuance in that. Yeah, I really, yeah, thank you for all of that. There's hmm, those two layers of the question and the invitation that you invited them to participate in. I'm really grateful how you added the word here into that question. It's like, what is belonging mean here in this place um and then the invitation to invite others to be in participation with the land um to be in an open dialogue with place of what is belonging here what does this mean here and it's reminding me of the other day i was out of my sit spot in this land and i was really feeling in myself asking myself this question of like am i in attendance mm. um like I can be here, I could be daydreaming here, or I could be thinking about schoolwork here, or I can be in so many other places, yeah. but this recognition that the trees, the plants, even the wind and the flowers and the birds are all participating within us, the story of this place. They're all in attendance. Am yes. I in attendance to the same story that they're all in attendance to, or am I attending a different story? Am Ooh. I participating Ooh. in a different story? Yeah. Or am I participating in this story that is wow. unfolding in this place? And I, that brings me back to like the, the stories of the sandhill cranes, the stories of the red-shouldered hawks and the, the great horned owls and the ducklings and the feeling of how the land is consistently inviting us to participate, consistently inviting us to attend the stories of place. And... And the question of, are we, are we willing and open to accept that invitation? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, a beautiful, beautiful question and a beautiful invitation. And really 
for any courageous listeners out there who are listening to these stories being shared, I invite you to give that a try, you know, go out on a landscape that you feel connected to and ask that question, ask those questions, sit with that and feel into it, courageously feel into it. Right. Um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot to, to experience. There's a lot to share. And, you know, one of the things about springtime that feels so alive and present for me is that I'm also reminded of how, as this new life comes back into the landscape, right? So the return of lots of different wildflowers, the return of the sandhill cranes and lots of migratory songbirds and the return of the ospreys right now in my area from Mexico. Um, there is also this opportunity to remember that, you know, these beings are part of a community, right? And as an animist, we really have to be in community actively with the other than human, but also with the human, right? And and so part of, you know, in, encouraging all of you listeners to participate in this, I also realized right away that stuff is going to come up for you that's going to require to be in conversation with other human beings that are practicing similar things, right? Like, Nathan, you and I are, you know, very, very good fl- friends, very close human relations. And a huge part of that is how we hold each other in this process, right? That's been mm-hmm. like a huge blossoming of, of our friendship and, and our growth together. And yeah. And so I just want to acknowledge that, like, you know, we are, we are inviting you to participate in these things, knowing that you'll also want to have people of like mind and of like experience around you mm. as you, as you have those experiences, as you, enter those stories of landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for myself, there's also like a layer of, mm, this is reminding me like uh, about two weeks ago or so now, I went to a, a land that's very near and dear to my heart, very s- sacred place to, to me. And I went there by myself and it was about a three mile hike into this, uh, this gorgeous waterfall into this beautiful swimming pool that was, that has been a safe haven for me throughout my years. And when I got there and was in the place, there was this feeling like this grief rising and being um, alone, being a lone human in this yeah. place. And like this yeah. deep craving of, I wish I was here with someone. I wish I was sharing in this beauty with someone. Mm. And then there was this layer of what rose from that was like, oh, I'm sharing this beauty with me. I'm I'm sharing this beauty like I'm not alone because I'm with me too. <laughs> yes. And and from that there was these mm, I started having conversations with both my present self and also conversations with my past self. And this recognition that I had visited this land time and time again throughout the years and then there was this moment where up on top of the waterfall i could see the 17 year old me sitting up on that waterfall and i started having a conversation with him 
And then we open into a dialogue with each other. And then that loneliness, that loneliness and being in the land started to drift away as I recognized myself and empathized with myself as a being of this place. And that, yes, I was, mm, I was in solitude, but I was not in isolation. And then even now being here with you and sharing this story with you and sharing the story with all of you listeners, by sharing the story, there's almost a quality of, I wasn't alone there. Mm. Because in sharing the story with you all, I'm inviting you all to be in that experience with me. And so again, with our listeners, perhaps you might find yourself in, in a land as a lone human being, but you can invite others into that space by sharing the stories and sharing your stories with one another and bringing in the qualities of the recognition and acknowledgement of your solitude in place and in the sharing of stories and the being together in those experiences with each other in this way that you're not in isolation you're in solitude but you're not in isolation yes yeah thank you for presencing that i appreciate those added layers of, of perspective, definitely. And, you know, I've been thinking about the, the process of, of running programs for me has really evolved over the years as a teacher of wildlife tracking and bird language and, and nature connection. And I'm really finding that I'm now actively inviting my students into a relationship of animacy with the landscape and I I try and frame it as an invitation I try not to frame it as a here come join this cult you know (laughs) (laughs) but I I do try and say you know here here are some ways of being in a in a beautiful reciprocal relationship with the land and this is this has been my process and these have been some of the ways that I practice that and and I really find that this, this way of relatedness is really, really important because on the flip side, you know, when I teach, for instance, wildlife tracking, I, I make it very scientifically focused, right? So I try and have the students be as accurate as possible. I try and have the students think in terms of, you know, logical progressions of questions and things like that. And that's, that's wonderful. That's really useful. And, uh, and, you know, the balance of that is also to not forget our relatedness, right? It's not to forget mm-hmm. that the beings that left these tracks or these feathers or, or, you know, whatever it might be are beings that we are in relationship with, a living relationship. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so uh, I feel like it's so important for us to bring more of that into our lives in general to share that with more people as an invitation rather than as a, well, you have to believe what I believe, or you have to do what I do, but just sharing it from a place of here's this beautiful experience I had. Here's this way of seeing that I really value. I want to share it with you and learning to do that in a sort of open-ended way, I think is, is, is really powerful. I'm still learning to do that myself, right? I'm always learning to do that more effectively, but this podcast has been a huge part of that growth for me of mm. how do I share this aspect, which in some ways feels so intimate. I'm afraid to share it. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, I value it so much that I, I really want to share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the feeling too of, hmm, like I've learned so much of how to walk my own way in the land by catching the stories of how you walk in the land. Mm. So there's that feeling of the invitation isn't so much of like, do it this way, but in the invitation of like, what is your authentic way of doing this? Yes. And then share that with me because yes. I'll learn from that. Yeah. I know I, some of my uh, coworkers and I, we've talked about how we don't really like our official title is instructors. And we're like, we're not instructors though. Like that's really not who we are, or what we're doing. We're not telling people how to relate to the land. We're sharing how we relate with the land and we're, and our participants are sharing back with us how they relate to the land. And we're in this relationship of growing and deepening by being in the land together. And I love hearing when people share about their authentic ways of being in place, because I learned so much from them and they, influence me to even deeper into my own relationship of what is my authentic way of being in relation with place. And that is a journey that I feel will never end. will never yes. end. Um, even in the acknowledgement, like, like we're not stagnant beings, like right. we are constantly evolving cells, regenerating cells, dying. And we're not, we're not nouns really we're verbs <laughs> we're living walking verbs living walking stories and so yes. as we evolve our authentic ways of relating with place continue to evolve and then we continue to be able to share those stories with each other and continue to learn from each other and deepen with each other and it's such a like a magical process of almost enchantment really like a re-enchantment Ooh, yeah that's a good word yes being alive yeah that's wonderful you're reminding me kind of on a, on a final note on my end, you're just reminding me that, you know, the experience of animism and the experience of being an animist practitioner is one that's non-hierarchical, right? Mm. In that, in that whether I'm teaching or I'm being taught, whether I'm talking to you or I'm learning from plants or animals or wind or rivers or, or the land as a, as a larger entity, it's not, an experience of hierarchy necessarily it's really an experience of of sharing and being with and and i I love the way you're describing how you know you're not an instructor in the sense that you're not above your students right you're Mm -hmm. you're learning right along with them and that's so important that attitude that perspective is so important to me and and obviously to you and and what i really want to encourage and everybody you know to to consider that all of us are always learning. We're very dynamic. We're very alive beings that change. We change on the daily. We change with every encounter that we have, right? Every encounter you and I have, every conversation you and I have, we walk away changed. We walk away a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We grow in different directions in different ways all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually rising a, a, a short story that I feel called to to presence here with a particular student um, last spring, so nearly a year ago, or a little over a year ago, because it was prior to quarantine. Um, and 
Mm, like we were watching the flowers bursting forth. We were watching the seeds starting to fall. And so we were moving into our fire circle, um, being like the birds of the land, trying to like fly our way into the circle. And one of my students was moving in a way that was unique to everyone else. And so I decided to ask her, I was like, what are you, who are you? How are you moving? And she named him, I'm a seed being carried by the wind. Mm. And I was excited. I was like, oh, I want to be a seed. How do, how do I be a seed and, and being carried by the wind? And she was like, oh, it's easy. Just trust the wind. Just surrender wow. to the wind. And my heart melted in that moment. Wow. Just feeling of, you're so, you're right. Just trust in the wind and I can be a seed. Uh, that's, that is a beautiful note to, to wrap up on. That is, that is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love, I love the absolute candor and beautiful innocence of especially the youth and their ability to speak so directly to the heart mm-hmm. of experience, right? It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And the feeling too of her like authenticity and relationship and being with the energies of place. Yes. That wraps back around to the invitation that you offered earlier of going into the land and being with the questions of belonging and being in the questions of how do we belong in this place and attending to the stories of this place. And once again, I just offer a reiteration of that invitation to all of you listeners, um, the invitation to be in attendance to the homes and hearths in which you live. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I want to thank everybody who's listening and also Nathan, thank you as always for coming together to make this happen, to make this arise with spring energy as well. Mm-hmm. And, yes, thank you, Phil. <laughs> and I look forward to our next, our next podcast episode together. Mm-hmm. All righty, y'all. Goodbye for now. <laughs>